Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so the fixture has been released, consigning hundreds of thousands of fantasy managers to Tinker Town as we work on building those ideal starting squads. The schedule was a big bit of essential information we were awaiting and it sent many a manager into a frantic tailspin through the absence of United and City from game week one. Accordingly, this week's pod is one I always look forward to at least and one we have to work hard for in tandem as it's basically time to do a player overview. Now we've got those fixtures, albeit there's WGCA lens attached as Anthony will attest to very, very shortly. Uh, But Nick, looking very, very beardy as usual, how are you? Hey Tom, yeah, not too bad, thank you. Yep, I'm ready for this uh, this pod. I think it's probably our, our longest of the season. I'm not going to waste too much time with uh, with niceties and any, any attempted banter or humour. And uh, just we just just crack on, shouldn't we? So uh, anyway, who are we? We are who got the assist. Um, you know where to find us generally. We're on Twitter mostly, but you could also find us on Instagram, wgta.fpl. Make sure to like and subscribe to the pod as well. Give us a review if you like it as well, because our iTunes reviews are absolutely terrible. FPL Stag. Anthony, how are you doing? Nicholas, good to be here again. Um, welcome back, everybody. Uh, so look, I'll be expeditious as well with my own intro here, and I'll get straight through it. So look, last week we had our price reaction pod, but there was one key thing we were missing fixtures and of course that's going to have a pretty big bearing on who we would be selecting in our teams so basically what this podcast is about is how do the fixtures change our view of the prices and i guess then looking forward to who we would actually be looking to put in our teams but not getting too into the strategy because that's the pre-game week one pod of course what we're not doing this season is a team by team preview we're not doing a to m and then n to z or w or whatever it is we just don't have the time and honestly i'm not sure you want me to talk about you know, the fourth best midfielder at any team in this league, except for maybe Manchester United or something. So we're not going to do that. So let's just get straight on to it. Indeed. So get right into it. So by position analysis uh, is this pod, and it's kind of the dual knowledge of price and fixtures. I mean, we'll try to mention as many FPL relevant players possible. Inevitably, we may, you know, uh, just breeze over one, omit one, may have to cut out one or two just for timing reasons. Really sorry for this, but no one wants a three hour epic podcast of us not even our mums um i'll pepper in some strategic thinking uh, but i think as anthony said we'll keep that for the final preseason pod in a couple of weeks we simply don't want to blow our wad before we have max info on our thoughts especially as this will evolve over time so all four positions 
and we'll be remembering, as Anthony mentioned, that kind of abiding question, how do fixtures change our views on the prices? Just a warning as well, as Nick said, uh, this may be a little bit longer than normal. Uh, we're going to add breaks after each position, or well, goalkeepers and defenders in one go, but then midfielders and forwards. We've done a lot of work, and we hope you can get a lot of information for this uh, in terms of uh, dual tinkering, in terms of putting teams together. So hopefully the breaks will ease uh, the TMI, and uh, hopefully our amazing deliveries too will make it possibly indeed. Right, let's get on to the goalkeepers. Um, and I think... The first kind of question about these guys, like, I don't think the fixtures particularly changed our view on the keeper. I don't think we suddenly kind of saw uh, the light of a 5.5 million keeper shining through the clouds. And if anything, I think the key question here is, is there anyone about 4.5 we consider at all? So I think one thing has changed since last week, um, aside from the fixtures, and that's the signing and introduction of Aaron Ramsdale to the game. Um, after, of course, being at Bournemouth last season, he's now at Sheffield United, and he's a 5.0 keeper. And I think he is a quite an interesting prospect, of course, because Sheffield United arguably had the standout defence of the season outside of, let's say, the top two. And don't give me the Burnley were better. Burnley conceded 11 more goals, like 25% more. Um, of course, they got more clean sheets, but still, standout defence, I still think, was that Sheffield United defence. And this is a Sheffield team. They faced Wolves up first. They probably should have got a break like City and United. They're quite tired. Two promoted sides, Villa and Arsenal as well, in their front five. So Ramsdale is definitely on my radar. It's interesting um, players having your radar. Obviously, he is five million, so he's not four point five million. I think with with Ramsdale, I, I just don't think he's Dean Henson personally. I mean, looking at the save percentage, it was sixty eight point four percent for Ramsdale, which was the twentieth of all the um, the goalkeepers in comparison. Dean Henson seventy five point eight percent doesn't sound like a a lot higher, but that was the third best save percentage. So that that's my concern personally with Ramsdale. On that point, sorry, you told me you were going to say something as well, were you? Yeah, I was, I was going to say, well, yeah, demonstrably, Dean Henderson last year, his XGC was the highest of any goalkeeper. Um, apart from Lloris, actually, um, he actually won the XGC kind of uh, thing. Uh, 9.5 XGC he got last year. Uh, 1.2 more than Dean Henderson, who was second. Uh, Lloris, God, that would have been great at 5.0, wouldn't it, for 5.5? Um, and I think that Ramsdale's got an awful lot to live up to um, in terms of Dean Henderson because he, as a single goalkeeper, I spoke about on the last pod of last season, um, was absolutely fantastic for Sheffield United. And it just is the case whether he is going to be in of himself um, good enough because with looking at Ramsdale, you think, is it because of Henderson that Sheffield United's defence was so good? Or is it because of Sheffield United's defence that Henderson was so good? I think it's more the former than the latter, if that makes sense. Um, elsewhere in the uh, in, in the more expensive goalkeepers, just to run through very, very quickly, and Edison, 6 million, you've got a 50-50 chance of six points. Zombie team, defo in, real team, probably so much money. Um Dubravka, um, one I want to mention, 141 saves. He got the most saves last season. Uh Hoping again he sneaked up 4.5, he did not. And Leno, uh, Leno was the highest oath performer on XGC. He was expecting to see 50 goals, but actually, he's only first nine this time on the pitch. But I don't think there's anybody here. I mean, you haven't even mentioned Nick Pope, um, who is worth investing more than, than the 4.5, is there? Um, I mean, you've said Ramsdale, Stag. Um, Nick, is there anybody here, or is it all about the 4.5s to you? Um, I think, I think personally, for me, it's it's all about the 4.5s. I think that, you know there are options potentially if you wish to spend more money. You mentioned a few of them, but like so Dubravka, he had the most saves I think out of all the players last season, didn't he? So um, 
he's one perhaps at five million that could be on people's radars. You know, even if you want to go for the premium goalkeepers, likes of Edison and Allison, they didn't have their best seasons in terms of FPL. It was the previous season that Allison actually topped the charts in terms of overall um, points for goalkeepers with 176. That would have topped him. Uh, top of the charts this season is just that he missed 900 minutes of football last season to mean that he kind of scored quite poorly. But yeah, I think as as, as we said, we're a big fan of the 4.5 million goalkeepers over the 6 million. And it's just because you, that extra 1.5 million is so important for the rest of your teams. It's like, it's the, it's like the equivalent of getting Rashford over William, for instance, if you were to use that money in midfield. It's just, you know, I, I don't see the appeal of going for those premium goalkeepers. And we, as we talk about as well, the 4.5 million goalkeepers, they're normally from poorer clubs. But it doesn't really matter in that goalkeeper position because even though these clubs may not necessarily get as many clean sheets, they get plenty of save points. A clean sheet for Edison or Allison is typically a six-pointer. But if you get a clean sheet for, for Matt Ryan, if he picks up six saves on the way, he could be on for an 11-pointer and it kind of evens out a little bit over the course of the season. So you don't really get that premium feel from those more expensive goalkeepers. I think you're right. And I think that with the 4.5s as well, there's quite a few ways of doing it. You can either do kind of what's known as the king and air strategy. So think Button, uh, Ryan, although it looks like Button is off on his way to West Brom, actually. So it might be Johnston Button. Um, sounds like a race car driver, doesn't it? And you can also do rotating goalkeepers. So there's a little bit of love out there for rotating with uh, Matt Ryan who spells his name Matt with one T, so I'm instantly suspicious of him, and Alex McCarthy. There's no guarantees, I don't think, anyway, of a clean sheet at this price, as Nick's mentioned, unless it's nominally like Nick Pope. So let's jump into a few of these kinds of guys. I think that Matt Ryan and McCarthy are the two that most people are kind of looking at. Uh, just start with Matt Ryan, the Australian. Uh, he outscored Edison last year, actually. He got two more points which is a bit of a surprise. I'd double-check that, but it's definitely true. He matched Leno for saves and made the second-highest saves in box for keepers last year and also had the top bonus for pass completion. He exceeded Edison, actually, by some distance there. And he had the top baseline BPS of any goalkeeper as well. Um, he was actually fifth last season for bonus points, but if they get more clean sheets, he's also going to be in the frame for bonus, which is pretty cool. McCarthy, as I mentioned, though, is probably going to be my keeper, I think. And there's a decent start for Saints. Um, they start with uh, Crystal Palace away, Spurs at home, Burnley away, West Brom at home, and Chelsea away. So three out of five of them are okay. So, um, he only got number one midway through the season, but he got 3.7 points per game. If he'd have played the whole season at that rate, he'd have scored over 140 points, which was around where David De Gea and De Bravka finished. Um, so I think he's going to be the one that I really like. No king in there, obviously, for McCarthy, but he's probably the one I'm going to go with uh, for the time being. I, I think he's kind of looking fairly popular in the community, isn't he? I mean, uh, either of you uh, with McCarthy, anyone else you want to mention? Uh, McCarthy is definitely one that I was considering, and I guess maybe to add to the points that you've made about him already, I would also point out that he was the joint best um, in Project Restart amongst the keepers in terms of XG prevented. He prevented 3.6, which was the same as Igor Lloris. And another player, though, that is on my radar, I think, and especially if for anyone that's considering an early wild card, is still Emiliano Martinez. Uh, so he's there at 4.5 and he's obviously deputizing for uh, Leno, who's injured. Project Restart played eight times, three clean sheets. That He got more saves than anybody else. And he was fourth in terms of XG prevented with 2.9. So that's pretty solid. And especially, look, as I said, the early wildcard, he really stands out because he has Fulham away and West Ham at home up first as well. So definitely on my radar. 
Yeah, I think Martinez would um, looks like a really good option, actually, especially if there's news as we get towards the start of the season that Leno isn't going to be fit and going to be missing the first few games. It much depends if it is in your plan to early wildcard. You can certainly take advantage of those two opening fixtures for Arsenal. Uh, for me, it is actually McCarthy that is in my team as well. Um, no, I think Matt Ryan, you know, he definitely represents a very decent option as well. Also, another team with sort of some goalkeeper questions is um, Aston Villa. I've, I've seen that Ben Dinnery has tweeted that um, Heaton's going to be out at least for the start of the season. And there's no news about them buying any new goalkeepers at the moment. Perhaps they're just going to wait for, for Heaton to um, to come back to fitness. And obviously, uh, Rain has left the club as well. So it's probably going to be the case that Neyland starts. And Neyland's only four million. And you can rotate uh, McCarthy. I tweeted about this. Uh, you can rotate McCarthy and Neyland very nicely as well for for the opening fixtures. So, for instance, in game week two, when Southampton's play Spurs, which is a tougher game, you could potentially play Neyland at home um, to Sheffield United and he can do his old old tricks with uh, uh, Hawkeye, yeah, can't he? Hawkeye again. Derby, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, so I think perhaps he, he looks like a potential secondary option, only four million as a, as a bench goalkeeper as well, whilst Heaton's out. Certainly. Sounds like we're kind of fairly happy with those. Um, a few other to mention as well. Uh, so those coming up, a couple, a few shot stoppers, and they're going to have to be uh, in the Premier League, that's for sure. Rodak from Fulham and Sam Johnston from West Brom, uh, 77% and 73% shots to shaves ratios, uh, respectively, over 120 shots faced each. Johnson's actually got a fairly decent penalty save record as well, which is something to bear in mind. He saved 25% of the penalties he's faced in his career, uh, better than the goalkeeper average of around 17%. Um, I saw that in the Athletic recently. Um, the other uh, newly promoted goalkeepers are from Leeds, and that's a bit unclear. Uh, Casilla was involved in a very unpleasant incident, um, and Meslier, um, the young man, has come in. Um, they only conceded 35 goals last year, and Meslier actually saved over 80% of the shots he faced. Uh, but he only played 10 games so the jury is completely out on what they do and with Liverpool to start with I think I'll probably be waiting on them until an early wild card um, and I'm you know, I'm fairly happy with leaving it on McCarthy One final point to highlight on goalkeepers at the moment it seems like Nick Pope is still the most owned goalkeeper at 25.8% even though he doesn't actually have a game in game week one and he is priced at 5.5 million so could be a few people screwed over by that auto selection of Nick Pope, the highest scorer from last season, but uh, we'll see what happens there. I think certainly with the Burnley, with Burnley, it's all about the defenders, and perhaps that's a, a good way to to move on to the defence. Yeah, certainly, certainly. I mean, let's move on to the premiums first um, and look at. Well, I mean, do we need to really spend that much time on Liverpool guys? I mean, TAA definitely, and I don't think there's much. Liverpool's defence is very good. It is. I don't think, I think <laughs> underlining the fact that we probably played this game for too long if we're looking at TAA and I, I don't even realise if he's not in anyone's team it seems a bit of a no-brainer even games against Chelsea and Arsenal in their first five game weeks of the season certainly didn't put me off like he was he was a set and forget no matter what it's um, it's something we've underlined in pretty much every pod we've ever talked about him but it is the fact that he poses a goal threat he uh, creates chances on a KDB level and actually records clean sheets pretty consistently so just all round brilliant Certainly. I mean, you yeah. may want to consider Robertson. Uh, he matched TAA in the restart, 44 points, and slightly outstatted him in terms of key passes and big chances. Uh, but as Stag mentioned, yeah, set pieces, explosiveness, Trent, 7.5 million, basically a full midfielder. And it really shows if you compare uh, the midfielders and defenders, uh, Trent 
aces a lot of the metrics. So he's third for chances created behind KDB and Grealish. Second for big chances created behind KDB. This is again the defender. And Trent and Robbo were second and third in bonus actions behind KDB as well. The defenders and midfielders are combined. So, yeah, mad. We're all tweeted here that, that Trent is like a must-own for our FPL teams. I think there still is a question mark over whether double defence for Liverpool is a possibility or not. It's certainly something that we were advocating last season and we were very unlucky ultimately um, not to get more clean sheets thanks to Alisson's injury in game week one and you know Adrian's mistakes um, very poor mistakes that he made whilst he was in goal but um, I don't know personally for me it's not something I'm going to do for game week one but I think for game week four to to eight there's a potential for a a double defence Again, you know, you could be looking at even someone like Joe Gomez, only 5.5 million could slot in quite nicely if he does have that centre-back position nailed alongside um, Virgil van Dijk. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I think definitely in terms of Liverpool, Trent, we're all agreed on. But um, otherwise, in terms of the premium defenders, Doherty is um, one that we're all looking at at the moment. Um, he's certainly um, on my radar for my FPL team, thanks to his um, attacking metrics, where he was top for shots on target across all defenders last season. You see, the the thing about Doherty, aside from the fact that Tom can't pronounce his name, is that Wolves, like they probably should have had a break for game week one, um, having played deep into the Europa League. And I think that fatigue could be a factor with them more than anyone. So I would like to see how they're doing. And just given the way that their fixtures have fallen, it, it, it's a good chance to leave Doherty out of your game week one squad against Sheffield United and Manchester City if your plan is for an early wild card. Um, I fancy both of those opponents to show up for their first game of the season, at least. And with Vinagre there as a foil, we'll get onto that in a minute. I just think that there's a good opportunity to leave Doherty out, see how he's going, and then move on from there. Yeah, I agree. I also think that um, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, um, he, he's been uh, fairly strongly linked today with moving to Wolves and by the time listening to this, he may indeed have signed. Um, mm. It gives definitely a bit of time to just, just review that because Wolves between game week three and game week seven start to really come into their own. They've got West Ham away, Fulham at home, Leeds away, Newcastle at home and Crystal Palace at home. Um, and yeah, that that's actually a really decent run of, of games there. And you'd be expecting clean sheets and attacking points from Matt D as well. Uh, just to mention another member of the of one we call the Double Ds Club, uh, the forgotten man, Luca Dean. Um, so last year, he was in everybody's team uh, during the big at the back. I think he was certainly in my next team. Don't know if he was in yours, uh, in yours Anthony. He was there at some point, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Everton actually have a fairly decent start. I mean, they've uh, got Spurs to begin with. But then they've got West Brom, Crystal Palace, Brighton, Liverpool, which isn't that great. Southampton, Newcastle, United, Fulham and Leeds um, and I think that Carlo's teams are well known for putting their feet up at the end of the season when things are all done but I'm sure that he'll galvanise them at the start of this year coming uh, Luca Dean last year he was actually third for XA amongst defenders and he was second for chances created amongst them as well he's a bit of a forgotten man as I've mentioned 6.5% of the squads 120 points last season 153 the season before um, but 6.0 uh, maybe a little bit too expensive but one to bear in mind I think um, especially because of the fact that they, their fixes are pretty good and I think it's kind of flying under the radar because of how poorly they finished um, how decent that might be especially with Spurs first but no 2-4 to four are pretty good and, and if you do want kind of a wild card pick um, who from a player who can be explosive is on the set plays, then, then why not Luca Dino? I don't know. Does Everton really do make me break out in hives? Almost in every single position, I just I just can't bear their FPL assets. My hatred of Richarlison is well known and to uh, people of this parish as well. So it's like that is actually the, the biggest 
struggle that I have with Dina because for sure we have seen in the past Dean Dina actually how do you even pronounce him um but there you can leave that in Tom <laughs> but like what what to do with them is just for me it's just weight purely because you just you just don't quite know what's really going on with even Carlo's project there anymore yeah I think with Luca Dean I think my challenge even though he does look um you know very good attacking wise he's got 72 chances second only to Trent but I think my challenge there is um Everton just aren't very good defensively, almost as, as you hinted there. They conceded 56 goals, which was the 13th worst in the league last season, in comparison to Wolves that were ridiculously defensively solid, especially when Willie Bolly was in the side. Um, Wolves only conceded 40 goals over the course of the season, so 16 less than Everton. And uh, yes, yeah, so I think I think that is my problem with putting someone like Luca Dean in. He seems to be a yellow card magnet as well, so I guess he's a sort of zero and one pointers or the occasional 15, but more commonly it's the zero and the one pointers that you remember at least. But um, sort of like ending, I guess, the premium section, Manchester City um, defenders. So I had a little look and Ake seems to be the popular pick at the moment in terms of the ownership. Um, with 11%, perhaps that's because people have seen his name in the press and thought, oh, I'll buy this guy, 5.5 million. But for me, actually, I quite like Laporte. And if he stays fit, you know, he could really, really be important for uh, City next season. He did drop 0.5 million in price last season, 6.5 million, because he was injured. But that season before, he did manage 177 points with three goals, three assists and 18 clean sheets. And um, when he did play this season, they were so much stronger defensively, especially in the restart, where I think they only conceded three goals over that period with Laporte being back in the team, which was really, really... Um, important for them so I think he's certainly um, one to to watch with City looking a lot stronger defensively um, a few people on Twitter actually also talked about Concello at 5.5 million which is perhaps another option in the City back line if he's nailed on I'll take us on then maybe away from the City defenders and down to maybe the 5.5 defenders and I think one that's maybe been talked about a lot and I've seen on quite a lot of teams across Twitter is Tierney from Arsenal. Now, of course, like the Martinez argument I was making early on, Arsenal defenders do kind of come in quite nicely for this early wildcard theme if you're going on that with Fulham and West Ham. But I reviewed the, the Tierney hype, let's say, and looked at his Project Restart stats, and I, I feel like I've been brainwashed. It wasn't actually that impressive, was he? Uh, one goal, two assists, four chances created in 700-odd minutes. Like, is there more to get? And when there's cheaper alternatives, even in the Arsenal backline or in goalkeeper position, are we getting a bit excited? We're talking about goat territory, those numbers, aren't they? I mean, uh, uh, Adam Pritchard propagandizes to me that it's got a higher XG per 90 than Aurier, Walker and Mendy. Equal to the likes of Alonso. That is that is gold. Are you sure that wasn't um, his Celtic stats where um, even Albi and Ajeti can score? So, I'm sure uh... he used the government's <laughs> treasury uh, calculator to figure that one out. Um, but I mean, the fact remains, though, that I suppose he's a decent little punt placeholder for the first two games, Fulham and West Ham. After that, as we've mentioned, there's a natural transition onto the likes of Matt D. Um, so maybe it could be the case that you stick from the Scottish guy to the Irish guy. Do you with James McCarthy? Yeah, yeah, I, I don't mind. I, I don't mind that idea at all. Actually, in the five point fives, it's only really tier news of interest to me. We've mentioned the city players already, which are, I'm just not sure about them this year. I mean, last year we were all over Zinchenko and stuff. My problem with all the, with all the five point five millions is I look at all the options there, and I can find a cheaper alternative at the same club at like five million or four point five million. You've got the likes of Tarko, for instance, a perfect example, and you've also got the Sheffield United fullbacks, which I feel unfortunately have been a little bit priced out. 
of the market this season with the 5.5 million valuation. And then with Tierney, you've got potentially um, 4.5 million uh, starting defenders like Saliba potentially for Arsenal, which I'm preferring as an option. Probably worth discussing the most owned uh, 5.5 million defender as it stands right now as well. That's Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Now, of course, the problem with a Manchester United defender is that you can't pick three Manchester United attackers if you've got one of their defenders. And that's pretty much the, even from a flexibility point of view going forward, it's quite hard as Tom and I both uh, found during Project Restart with Maguire stuck in our teams for weeks upon weeks upon weeks. It's just so hard to get rid of a defender once they're in there. But United in Project Restart, they did have five clean sheets. That was equal second. Wan-Bissaka himself got 16 bonus points in that time. That was equal fourth for defenders across that project restart as well. And the thing with Juan Bistaka was that I think when he was at Palace and early on in his United career, we kind of knew him for just being a defender's defender who really couldn't do anything in the final third. But he actually shot and actually created some chances. Small numbers, really, of course. Like he's no even Matt Doherty. But still, good numbers. And he was sixth for defenders um, amongst defenders for final third touches across project restart as well. So just with United's fixtures and the blank in game week one he's probably wildcard potential but just worth keeping in the back of your mind and maybe monitoring and then moving further down towards those 5.0 defenders I think has Nick really kind of got at the the, the real point with the 5.0 defenders they're probably if you're looking at one of them the cheaper option let's say amongst more premium uh, teammates of theirs so John Egan for the Irishman is a good example of that at 5.0 great great option there I think uh, when you consider his uh, goal threat across Project Restart as well he was third amongst defenders uh, for XG in Project Restart and he was fifth for attempts as well he's he's definitely one that I'm looking at especially given the Sheffield have good fixtures Yeah I think Egan's perhaps understands I also know a few people are looking at the Spurs defenders there you've got likes Eric Dyer at 5 million you've also got Ben Davis at 5 million personally I'm not sold on investing in, in the Spurs guys at this particular moment in time you know, Aurier, he looks like he's on his way out. He's 5.5 million. But just going forward, uh, Davis was statting pretty pretty damn poorly um, in terms of his underlying stats. And um, he wasn't getting, in terms of attacking stats, he wasn't getting forward at all. He was pretty much part of a back three with Aurier going on the on the wing. So it very much depends what they do with that back line. But I'm, I'm not sold at all. Uh, Dyer, I don't know if he's, he's still competing with Sanchez or Aldevira as part of that centre-back berth. So not necessarily nailed, we don't know. Um, so I think, you know, I'm not convinced, even though Spurs do have some pretty decent opening fixtures, it's a, it's a pretty decent run all the way to game week eight, Ever- Everton, Southampton, Newcastle, United, then West Ham, Burley, Brighton and West Brom. They just were so suspect defensively, but maybe that's something that uh, Marino has been working on over the summer. Yeah, I mean, there were fewer shots on target conceded by Spurs under Mourinho and maybe we will find some sort of sense of defensive solidity. But I agree, you're paying 5.0 for six points probably as your ceiling. Um, I don't know, when Osorio leaves and then Ben Davis gets given Shrine Day level uh, license to roam, um, I'm suspecting that he's probably a little bit, I don't know, I, I've actually got Ben Davis on my team at the moment, but just for six pointers, just because those fits are pretty good and it looks like he'll be the sole sort of left back for the time being. Um, if Sessegnon stays, it looks like he'll be kind of further out on the left wing back and Ben Davis will come back into left centre back. But we just don't know yet, but it looks like he um, is trusted. Dyer, as you said, I don't know 
between him and Sanchez, who's going to play. And because of the pileup of games, the Athletic released an infographic on them uh, not very long ago, just showing that they've got a game basically every three days for the whole season, um, if, if they stay in all competitions, of course. And it just seems absolutely crazy. Um, the only ones I'd, I'd like to mention, um, and probably keys in with what you said, Nick, earlier about there being a better alternative at every club or a cheap alternative is Luke Shaw at 5.0, actually. I thought that was quite a kind price um, because Juan Bissaka 5.5, as Stag mentioned, he's a defense, defender's defender. Um, Shaw has obviously got that physical presence about him, gets up and down the wing. And I think that given that run in the side, um, could well be a really cheap route into the United backline. I remember kind of Phil Jones a few years ago got given that 5.0 and unexpectedly became a rock at the back there. Um, in terms of United's defense, um, every year uh, we see that there's a good kind of 15, 20% ownership on at least one of their defenders just because of the promulgation of my night fans so maybe we'll need to cover at some point and luke shaw could well be that man who knows i also mentioned amn and he made niles earlier on yeah the, the one thing with shaw as well is that if brandon williams gets a run on the side as well at 4.5 he's uh, an even cheaper route into that united team as well which is pretty exciting and i guess that is a good segue onto the 4.5 defenders themselves, which is something that we, I think everybody is considering a lot because there are so many good 4.5 defender options. It's absolutely ridiculous. There's Vinagre, there's Charlie Taylor, there's Tariq Lamptey, there's Kyle Walker-Peters, there's Saliba. There's just so many options. I don't know where to start, lads. Because of the fixtures, to go to the main question, remind you again, we're looking at how have the fixtures changed their view of the prices. I've changed from I want all the 4.5s to which 4.5 am I going to have because they've all got terrible, annoying fixtures, I think. Apart from one, who's James Justin, who's in my team at 4.5 at the moment. So he's covering Stag's man, uh, Ricardo Pereira, um, for a little while. I think Pereira's out until uh, October sort of time. Um, but West Brom, Burnley, City, West Ham and Aston Villa is their first five. I want a bit of that 4.5. Um, so he's in. But other than that, I've got absolutely no idea who I'm going with. There is a, as a stack of a plethora of options and they've all got a yeah but about them, I think. Do you know what, Tom? Can I throw the uh, Arsenal fan Saliba? What's the story? It, me and Mr. Pritchard have spoken about this a little bit. Honestly, just don't know if he'll play. And um, we'll have a sneak peek in the uh, charity shield, which is really, really useful. Um, but because Gabriel has looks to have signed uh, this evening, um, I think that he and Luis are going to be the first kind of choice centre-back pairing. And then Saliba will either be cups or kind of groomed to be Luis's eventual replacement. But I suspect that 19 years old, a season and a half of friendship behind him and having suffered an injury, I think he will need some time to acclimatise. And I think that David Luis will probably be in line to, do, to play that like, kind of mentor role for him we'll see in the charity shield it could be that he's a starter he could surprise us all i think it'd be very good for the future i just don't think that he's quite ready yet if, if he does start then fantastic so you've also got if ben chilwell leaves us so you've potentially even got luke thomas as another 4.5 million defender in in the left back slots uh the bernie defenders charlie taylor um, eric peters certainly on my radar as well but obviously they don't actually have a game in game week one so they might be um players that come in for me in in game week three, I was planning on Saliba. He is in my team at the moment, but very much depends on um, if he is now, then we'll have a little bit more information perhaps after the Community Shield. You've got Kyle Walker-Peters, but I'm probably not going to double up um, on Southampton if I go for McCarthy. So I'm probably going to potentially look at one of the Brighton guys as well, but they've got so many centre-backs at the moment. I haven't got a clue who's playing. They've got about six or seven of them currently. Uh, but, you know, one of them is, is Ben White, who we talked about in the last pod, and it sounds like Leeds aren't going to be getting his services, which is a blow to them, actually, because Leeds um, are another team with some 4.5 million defenders that have caught the radar. But 
Ben White was um, critical to their defensive solidity last season and, you know, played that key role in the centre-backs. So if they don't have him next season, that is a blow and they'll probably have to try and find a replacement. But um, yeah, as I said, Bryson have about six or so. We don't, we don't know what's going on there. Um, the one perhaps that um, I am considering rather than going for Matt Ryan is, is having Tarek Lamptey um, at the right back. Um, and hopefully he's got that uh, position now on the head of um, Montoya with his uh, impressive performances post-lockdown. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think um, with Lamptey, I think you mentioned as well KWP um, because obviously we've got McCarthy, a lot of us. I don't think we're going to be wanting them quite a double down. I did have a look at Lamptey and KWP because they both kind of came to the fore at the end of last season. A lot of people were looking at them for this season. Um, just comparing their data post the restart, in football manager terms, Lamptey is an attacking wing-back, whereas KWP is a, a supporting, maybe even a defensive full-back. So since the restart, Lamptey created six chances, uh, three big chances in eight games. He produced 21 crosses. KWP created one big chance and had just six crosses. So there's more upside with Lamptey, but... KWP has better fixtures. And I think with Lamptey is a good example of how fixtures can kind of subtly change things because fixtures are pretty big for players in this sort of area. And I mean, uh, Brighton have only got two good fixtures in the first five, as far as I can see. They've got Newcastle away in game week two and they've got Crystal Palace away in game week five. Other than that, they've got Chelsea nice at home, Everton away. I just don't think that's good enough uh, for a 4.5 um, if I'm going to have to probably play him. So I'm, he's probably out for now and one to keep an eye on, I suppose. But he was very attacking. Nick, so I can see why you'd be of interest. But I mean, Vinagre Stag, he's one who was definitely doing the rounds. But as we mentioned, with Ainsley Maitland Niles and maybe the likes of Gulam coming from Napoli, um, he's a bit of a dicey one now, isn't he? Yeah, that is the issue with Vinagre, really. He is at the moment the most popular 4.5 defender, but it, it is that yeah, but that kind of goes with him that is the issue. So, yeah, the Gulam move is reportedly very likely, although Gulam was with the Napoli squad on recording day, Monday, the 24th of August. They were having a game at Castel di Sangro, actually, which one for the people who enjoyed that particular book. Um, but I think James Justin stands out based on fixtures um, as probably the 4.5 to get. Just look, Leicester were quite disappointing attacking wise. I don't think you're going to have any fears about tripling up and it's just it's an easy kind of cheap gamble to have there with West Brom, Burnley, City, West Ham and Villa in those first five games and I think Leicester based on how they let's say their exit velocity um, towards that because in Project Restart poor but at the same time it's hard to kind of toss aside such a good option when he is a player that does create chances he does get in the box and he does actually shoot as well uh, the Burnley defenders they're there as well that blank game week that's the big thing isn't it it's just as we were talking about how what do fixtures do to your perception of a team? Like certainly Burnley having a blank game week kind of throws the cat amongst the pigeons really for them. And maybe Leicester game week two to a lesser extent as well. You could say as well with Charlie Taylor that there is the issue that uh, Eric Peters may take his spot. Depends. He seems to be preferred. And then at the other 4.5s, you've got the Loughton-Bardsley kind of battle going on over at right back. So hard to figure those out. But one thing that we always love as well is a 4.0 hero in defence. And there seems to be a few of them popping up. There's uh, Ben Johnson. No, not that one. Then there's Jared Branthwaite. And there's also Nathan Ferguson as well, who looks to be the best option so far. Yeah, I mean, simply with these, uh, it's one to watch the preseason with. But if they start, who cares who they play for? Who cares what they're doing? If they play their value. And it's very rare that we've had a situation where we've got quite a few uh, possibilities. Um, did you mention Barry Douglas as well, Anthony? Uh, I've, I've dismissed the Leeds ones. I, I think yeah, they're all fiction. Enough. 
fair enough. I mean, Barry Douglas was playing for quite a while, and then he he did his uh, cruciate basically. It hasn't seemed to be got back in. I think Stuart Dallas has uh, been playing in his stead, but he might he be one single see. figure games in the championship. Yeah, last season. yeah, yeah. He, I think he did he did his ACL basically, and it uh, had some fitness issues, I believe. But I mean. <sighs> With all of these players, as long as they're playing, if it looks like they're going to play, I mean, Nathan Ferguson is the one that uh, an opinion piece should be pointed out in the Athletics said he was going to take over from Joel Ward. Um, PVA is also out, still injured. So Tyreek Mitchell at Palace is also going to be playing. So feasibly, they could have two 4.0 fullbacks. God, they're going to be absolutely destroyed next year. That's another story. You see, the yeah. thing with Ferguson, though, is that he is also a versatile player. If we were to go back to our football manager parlance, like he is a person who can play left-back, centre-back and right-back. So he could even take that left-back slot as well, which maybe makes him stand out to me as just, OK, yeah, there's, there's there's so many Palace defenders and they all seem to always get injured or be suspended. <laughs> yeah. There's always an injury crisis in the Palace defence that he could be kind of, he's not just, you know, like Juan Bissaka was at 4.0 a few years ago, tied to one position. He has a much more versatility. Oh, Martin Kelly V2 rather than AWB V2. Wow, that is a glamorous note to <laughs> come to the end of our uh, of our Whistle Tour of Defenders on. So guys, how did fixtures change your view of the pricing of defenders? So I think certainly with the fixtures, my attention was drawn a little bit more to Leicester and the Arsenal defenders um, when previously perhaps I wasn't considering these guys. I do remember James Justin um, post lockdown being in my team and not doing much not uh, coming across as particularly attacking or particularly creative but certainly with the fixtures I think he has to be in the contention same with um, some of the guys at Arsenal especially if I'm thinking about doing a little bit of a cheeky early wild card because Arsenal's fixtures do really turn after game week three I think someone like Saliba um, if he is nailed hopefully he is um, at 4.5 million has now come into my team whilst obviously the announcement that there's not going to be um, games to the likes of Burnley and Villa um, immediately puts out those defenders that perhaps some of us were considering like Charlie Taylor who was originally in contention for my team no longer in contention um, that, that is a big uh, factor for myself um, also with Wolves early fixtures as well you know, Agro Doherty I'm, I'm considering a double up there as well so that has um, had a, a little bit of an impact um, in terms of my decision-making when it comes to my defence. Yeah, pretty much adding on to you there. Um, Burnley, definitely down in my estimation, once they had a blank game week at the start, they were pretty much, there was a nailed-on Burnley defender, really, when there was a 4.5 option there. Otherwise, uh, Tariq Lamptey was a player I actually had in my squad in Project Restart for the final four games of the season. So he was someone I was very excited about putting in my team, only for Brighton to have quite poor fixtures. So they certainly went down the toilet with that. Uh, Arsenal uh, defenders in general, be it Martinez, Liba, whatever, have definitely been on my radar just because I'm still looking at the early wildcard tactic and them having a good first two game weeks really stood out to me. And Sheffield United defenders, I thought they were overpriced, I think, last week when we were talking about the pricing alone. But once their fixtures looked quite good, I found myself really warming to the idea of John Egan at 5.0 being in my side again. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, agree with all those points. Uh, a but knocked out Burnley entirely. Otherwise, they would have been a lock um, if they didn't have the blank game week one. Um, I think you'd have had to cover Pope um, if you didn't buy Pope yourself because of the ownership. That would have been sky high. Um, Leeds uh, were also kind of looking like a, a nice sort of uh, include because they're, they're kind of miserly record in the championship. Now with Liverpool to start look a little bit 
difficult to include, although you may uh, kind of go with Luke alien in weight and something like that on your bench. But basically, I think it poo-pooed the 4.5s um, because none of them have a discernibly kind run of fixtures other than Justin, you know, maybe Fulham. You're not going to be considering Fulham, are you? Um, so I think it's just kind of, uh, it really kind of did kind of make things a bit more difficult. And in some ways, actually, kind of pushed us towards considering the 5.0 pluses um, because there aren't the kind set of fixtures we otherwise would have liked. Didn't change much, but around premiums, of course. Um, but yeah, one to bear in mind. I think there'll be more kind of uh, changes front to the fixtures as we move on to other positions. Yeah, maybe in more comic relief as well. One thing the fixtures did make me notice is that Matt Ritchie is a midfielder, which was very disappointing. Because <laughs> Newcastle's first few fixtures looked quite good, but looking at the oh. rest of their options there, meh. Yeah, maybe the cells. Who knows? My team is named after him this year. Warp the cells. If you're a trackie, you will know. Right, let's take a break there. We'll be back with the midfielders after this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's time to go through the midfield and let's start off in the premium war zone. Yes, there are so many factions, so many sides, so many possible players you could be throwing your weight behind. But who are we starting with, thanks to the fixtures, or at least intending to at this point? Um, to start off, then, Aubameyang, a talisman theory hero, and one of those very nice moments where it all kind of came together. Because if we didn't have the good fixtures, the Fulham-West Ham double up to begin with, um, I'm sure it would have been a bit more difficult to convince people to put him in. But as it stands, he looks like a bit of a no-brainer. And if he does well, then all talisman theory looks great. If he doesn't do very well, then I'm going to hide and jack responsibility to you guys. Um, but I mean, he's my game with one cap since I'm recording 205 points last season and 205 points the season before 230 points that would be if he was repotted to a midfielder to make him the third highest scorer in the game two very good fixtures don't overthink is my view no matter what your strategy I think he's a very very solid pick to begin with and you're both nodding so we're going to move on unless anything nope I definitely no definitely just going to say captain material there with those um, opening fixtures Fulham and West Ham Potentially might leave my team in game three. I think he's um, yeah case for the early wild cards um, to swap him out for one of the United or City midfielders. But yeah, it's no, it looks like a no-brainer, doesn't it? Um, or Bamiang in our teams. But um, I guess in terms of that same sort of price point, you've got Salah and you've got Mane, and they're both twelve million this season. And, and in, um, for us, at least, it feels like another no-brainer. It feels like. It's, it's all about Mo, isn't it? Unfortunately, it's not about Mane. Um, we, we've um, you know talked about Salah hundreds of times on this pod before. How how much we love him, and um, you know I think also having the penalties is another big factor as well. And it's indicative in the ownership stats as well. Seeing that they both got priced the same, even though actually over the course of the season Salah only scores twelve percent, twelve points more than. Mane, in terms of the ownership, it's, it's clear that there's a favourite by FPL managers, and that's Salah, who's got 32.7% of ownership right now, compared to Mane's 11.8%. So, do you guys think there's a case for Mane over Salah at all? No. Do you know what? I think when they're equally priced, Tom made a good point about this on the pricing show last week, and I think I've, I'm definitely more and more behind that the more I think about it. Is that 12-point difference? Even though you know, Salah just scored once more, but the fact of the matter is his XG and his chances and everything is just so much better than Mane that his ceiling, I feel, is so much higher. I feel like Salah had almost no luck last season and still ended up with um, more points and a, and a goal more than Mane who I felt did well and who did overperform on his XG by plus four as well 
like if and we've all seen what happens with Salah when his luck turns and he ends up with a 30 goal season as well and look playing against a promoted side I know it's not a normal promoted side in Leeds but the fact of the matter is it's still a promoted side game week one seems like a bit of a no-brainer Absolutely. I think there's some legacy FOMO uh, with emphasis on the MO there as well. As I mentioned, that appeal strategy on Twist today. I mean, I can't not zero in and think you haven't got Salah there if someone has expelled him from their side. Maybe there's an element of ownership fear. And I know that, I mean, sometimes we talk about this on the strategy pod. In the past, I've really cared about it. Nowadays, I think, mm, okay, there's no form, so I'm not really too bold about ownership, but Salah's simply an FPL monster. His point returns have decreased year on year, but as Anthony mentioned, I think last year, everything that could go wrong did go wrong for him to some extent. He's still the top for XG two years in a row in the league. He's still the top for shots two years in a row. He's still top for touches in the box two years in a row. He plays for the best team in England. I don't particularly care alongside Man City. I don't really care who Liverpool are playing. He's a great captain default if you're not sure. And he's on penalties. What more could you want from an FPL asset? That said, Sadio Mane, because no one is going to be buying him because of Salah, does represent a very, very nice differential option. That is obvious, isn't it? Right. Um, a couple of players I think you have been perhaps shafted by the fixtures, though, um, are KDB and Sterling. So I think that when the game reopened without the fixtures, I think, obviously, before the indications that they may not have a game week one, I, I just couldn't foresee starting the game without Kevin De Bruyne. Obviously, scenario has changed, and it does kind of make sense. But now there's lots of chats. I leave them out until, you know, game week six or something. Like, they've been hugely unpegged by the fixture news. But we know who they are and what they what can they do. I think one stat I'd highlight here is ownership. Um, I know we've kind of just poo-pooed it a little bit, but it's absolutely kind of crazy the disparity between the two, isn't it? Because uh, you know De Bruyne is owned by forty one point eight percent, which I'm sure will keep on dropping. Uh, Sterling will be owned by five point three percent. Come game week two, Raheem Sterling admittedly his way against Wolves is going to be an absolutely huge explosive differential, which is incredibly interesting. I think um, I can't imagine many people are going to be benching eleven point five million player either him or De Bruyne. But come game week two, there's there's one hell of a kind of opportunity there, isn't there? I mean. I guess you guys aren't really going to be starting with them, but are you tempted to leave them out to game week six? I mean, this kind of theory is that, you know, they've got Wolves, Leicester, Leeds, Arsenal for game weeks two to five. So I don't really want any part of that. They start looking good in game week six. So that's when I'll get them in. I don't know. I don't know whether I can agree with that. I think no. I'll be looking game week three, buying in KDB or Sterling if I can. It, it's it's no problem for either of those players to get two attacking returns against any team in the division. And that even includes Liverpool, to be perfectly honest with you, because we've seen that those games tend to be quite high scoring. So I don't think that fixtures should really be something that turns you off uh, De Bruyne or Raheem Sterling. It is the fact that they have a blank and the fact that you'd have 10 or 11.5 million in the case of both of them sitting on your bench for no reason. I think that's a justifiable reason for not having them in your game week one team. The problem is, as you say, Tom, is that by game week two, they are going to be, they're both going to be differentials in truth by the sounds of it, especially Raheem Sterling, who maybe is suffering because of that Champions League miss as much as anything um, in terms of his popularity with people. Yeah, I think as, as you sort of declared um, Liverpool to be the best team in, in the uh, Premier League, Tom, I think there is a challenge there from Manchester City and that has been illustrated in some of the underlying stats. They didn't win the league, but they did score the most goals, 17 more than Liverpool. And in terms of goal attempts as well, they had 746 compared to Liverpool's 591. So it's whopping 150 more. And, and that was mainly thanks to Kevin De Bruyne. 
Um, and also Raheem Sterling. So whilst Mo Salah had the most goal attempts filled in Liverpool, uh, all the midfielders 132, it was Salah and uh, it was Sterling and De Bruyne who were joint second with 99 goal attempts. So both of them very, very attacking over the course of the season. Sterling even actually managed one more goal than uh, Salah at the end of the season. And obviously, you know, we've, we've talked about uh, KDB's distribution, which is just unbelievable. 136 goal attempt, uh, 136 chances created. That's almost 50 more than any other player. So, you know, this guy, once he's um, once he's available as an FPO asset, I think he's just going to go straight into the team, to be honest, then. You know, I'm probably going to do an early wild card, but I can't leave it until game week six, and uh, even with the city fixtures, because we know that, that this is a team that can just walk over any other team in the league. It doesn't matter who they're playing; they can easily get four or five, you know, on a good day. And often, actually, against the teams that don't just sit back and put ten men behind the ball, they get their, their biggest goal return. So. Obviously, not in straight away, but I think they'll be in pretty quickly. But but to move on, uh, another team um, to cover quickly uh, with some premium-ish assets that also have a bank is, is Manchester United. And I guess Bruno, 10.5 million. You've got Rashford, 9.5 million. And then obviously, we'll move on perhaps a bit later, but you've got likes of Greenwood at 7.5 million as well. And I think they're another team that I'm probably going to try and get um, invested in as quickly as possible. Uh, once uh, they start playing, I think they once the, after the blank, it's Crystal Palace, Brighton, Spurs, Newcastle, Chelsea, Arsenal for them. So a bit of a mixed bag of fixtures. But you know, Bruno, uh, when he was playing, once he joins, he had the goal and assist every seventy-four point one minutes last season. Points per game ratio of eight point three five, which was really, really impressive. Really turned over uh, Manchester United season, didn't he? That's undoubted. But the thing is, is for me, the fear, and this is speaking even as a United fan, is that United were just so, so tired by the end of Project Restart and into the Europa League as well. And uh, Bruno Fernandes himself, so dependent on penalties to get his points. And it's just, if, you know, if United stay tired or, you know, the number of penalties that Manchester United are earning kind of reverts towards anything near some sort of mean, he would be nowhere near worth the the price difference, uh, the one million price difference above Rashford, who of course is now a midfielder. And I think because of that, you know, really looks like a particularly good option. Like there is always the, I know if my, if my aunt had balls, she'd be my uncle. But if Martial picks up an injury, uh, Rashford could well be Manchester United striker playing out of position. And with that in mind, I think Rashford is for me standing ahead of uh, Bruno Fernandes, especially if I'm trying to build a team that includes one of Mohamed Salah uh, or Sadio Mane and one of the city midfielders as well. It's just saving that extra million could make a huge difference. Yep, certainly could. I mean, Bruno Penandes is definitely a player who I'm going to be interested in throughout the course of the season, simply because he's a very catalytic sort of player, isn't he? We spoke about this a fair bit, and Nick obviously mentioned his ridiculous points per game. Uh, but as Stag said, that is predicated on perhaps a base which is unsustainable at times at least and um, you're going to probably struggle to see those penalties continue to rack up with that frequency but United were pretty good in the restart weren't they uh, they were second to Man City in terms of points scored by their team uh, admittedly Man City actually dominated the restart 693 points wow but United were second with 539 and uh, I think kind of get from game week two onwards Crystal Palace at home Bryson away okay those are pretty good Spurs and Newcastle a bit more defensive Chelsea Arsenal yeah okay Everton away then West Brom it's going to be quite difficult to ignore United in game week two against Crystal Palace. Yeah, OK, you could be hoping if you don't go with them that they're going to be knackered. Uh, but the reality is that uh, I'm going to probably be looking to have one of these guys on my bench at least 
I do like the point about Rashford as well, um, being quite an interesting individual just because he's versatile. And also, you know, I think that kind of Aubameyang's move to the midfield position has also kind of uh, slightly overshadowed the fact that he's also been downgraded and he basically offers a very, very similar package. He just needs to have that consistency in terms of point scoring in order to keep it going. Um, but I've, I think that yeah, both of them are obviously fantastic assets. Uh, Rashford and Bruno in this instance will come on to win with in a little bit. Um, and I think that they definitely cause an interesting sort of fissure in terms of how people are looking to approach game week one, which we'll definitely come on to in a couple of weeks time. Just to move us down then uh, into the mid-rangers, 9.0 to 5.5. First one to mention, Son Heung-min. He single-handedly demolished the behemoth, the defence, which is Ipswich Town. He got a brace against them, Nick. Is it a case of auto-buy? So is, is Son straight into your FPL team then? Is that what you're saying? I don't think you got the sarcasm there, Nick. I think, he'd, I think he would be a really, really good pick at the start of the season. I know, obviously, Ipswich is a friendly. Who cares? But... You know, you get over dramatic reactions very often to friendly results, which are unnecessary. But still, he's nine million. He's premium, but he has had a 0.5 drop this season. He's had double figures for goals over the past four seasons. This is his first season where it's actually been double figures for goals and assists, which um, is a record that very few Premier League players can actually boast. So I think for me, he does look like a really, really good choice, um, especially with Spurs' decent run of opening eight games. And he'll, he'll certainly be that key man uh, alongside Kane in the attack. At the moment, I can't fit him into my team, but you know, I'm certainly envious of managers that can. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, all joking aside, he's a great asset. And I, I know what you said about him getting double figures for both goals and assists, but What's really interesting about him, and I mentioned it last week on the Prizes pod as well, is that he's never done it in terms of getting over 200 points in a season. He's in top five or top six for damn near every stat. Fifth for shots on the target, shots in the box, sixth for XG and XA amongst midfielders. But he's never had that one year where it's all come together for him for whatever reason. And it's just he's not had the minutes throughout the season. He's been injured. He's been off in international tournaments to but I think a top five player finish, so over 225 points, shall we say, is well within his wheelhouse. It's definitely possible that he'd be able to do that. It's just the case whether Mourinho is going to be the best manager to facilitate that happening. I just don't know. But those opening fixtures are pretty good and you can expect him to play fairly often, right? You definitely could. And look, Son is, of course, an interesting player, but are none of you put off by his project restart record? Two goals in project restarts, no assist. That's the, and he had the same number of shots as Danny Welbeck. 17 and like game time wasn't an issue across project restart for him either and like, that's really concerning and like that kind of feeds into the Mourinho point that you were just making there Tom like is he under the right management is this a team that is just orchestrated towards getting Harry Kane chance uh, getting Harry Kane his his chances and winning Harry Kane his penalties and just kind of hoping that they can be kind of carried through from there yeah yeah maybe I mean we'll speak, speak about Kane a little bit um, but certainly I wouldn't be too carried away by a brace against Ipswich, as a mighty as a Tractor Boys defence is. Ploughing through the Tractor Boys. Way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear me. Sowing the seeds of interest amongst the community. Right, okay, uh, moving on very swiftly before we get on to agricultural puns. It's Rehab Mares. He's uh, 8.5 million, 8.5 million for a reason, been doghoused by Pep, 175 points. Next, 8.0s, uh, Willian Ziyech. Pepe, etc., etc. All of them, damp corn in the harvest. 
Maybe, maybe. No, all right, all right. So a couple here then. I think Willian, one, is going to be the creator for Aubameyang. Um, he's actually second for chances created uh, behind KDB for ch- during the restart period. And he was joint talisman for Chelsea. It's just a case of whether he's going to cannibalise or compliment Aubameyang. I'm sure he won't get as many points because he wasn't. On, he probably won't be in penalties for Arsenal. Uh, but one I want to mention is uh, Mr. Hakim Ziyech. Um, he currently is occupying a spot in my team and there are a few good reasons for this i looked him up basically on fb ref uh, which is a fantastic free resource for those who are looking for one he has consistently put up very good numbers over the course of his career and um, so he's on xgi of over 0.58 per game which for xphobes means that he's a constant source of chance creation and shooting um, in the champions league his xgi is actually a little bit better um, 0.62 I'm aware he's come from the Eredivisie. I'm aware that he's come from Ajax, uh, but he is 8.0, which is a really nice pump price to see if we do the job. Um, he's got a good game against Bryson to begin with, and if not, he will go to Greenwood or somebody around that price point. No problem. Um, one further point in his positive column, I guess, is that there's a very defined role for him, I think, as the creator in who Chelsea are buying. So Werner, Pulisic, um, Havertz, these are all finishers. These are all players who are going to be on the end of things. Someone's going to have to be creating these things. And Ziyech uh, very much fits the profile of being the kind of person who play goes through. Um, I quite like the idea of going with him just in the beginning, just at 8.0, and seeing how he goes. I think he definitely has got it in him to raise his game. All of the worries about Air Divisio pairs aside, you may be screaming this is a trap. I may not have him in game week one when we properly get there. Uh, but for now, I quite like the look of him and quite like kind of going with him. So I think everything that Chelsea, who are a very attacking side, uh, will do will go through him. Uh, Kai Havertz is a very kind of a shadow striker sort of player. If he comes in 8.5, I'll definitely thinking about him. But for now, I do have ZH in there at 8.0. And you're both looking at me horrified, like I've told you something disgusting. Like, I, I don't want to be a smart arse, but I guess I want to make the point that maybe some of the listeners are roaring into their phone or into their car or wherever they're listening to this podcast. Maybe the shower. I don't know where you are, people. But Hakim Ziyech, he's 26 years old. So it's not like this is a young player where you're like, oh, he's going to improve. He's going to grow into the role, like you might say about like a Kai Havertz or something. Like, this is a player who's worse than Dusan Tadic for Ajax. I mean, I'm sure they'd have done a lot of scouting and a lot of personality profiling and thought that he was definitely worth the money. They secured him way before the transfer deadline well, window reopened. It's not the case that they're going to have just kind of made a willy-nilly choice. I think it's probably going to have been a fairly kind of uh, yeah, well-calculated I, I decision, I right? I wasn't necessarily suggesting that Marina was going to try and pick up mm. uh, Deuce and Tadish and bring back the ex-Saint. You know what I mean, though? It's, it's not the case that they're going oh, to have brought him in just for lols. I think there's definitely going to have been quite a lot of research that had gone into it in terms of how he plays a role in the team. Yeah, I think the thing, the point is, I guess, in terms of Eredivisie, is the when you look at the stats, perhaps on FB Ref for ZH, they're going to be impressive because of the, the league that he's playing in. If you look at Dusan Tadjic's stats as well, they are yeah, ridiculously impressive. He, he's become an absolute boss since uh, since joining <laughs> Ajax and you know this season for instance 1819 Tadic managed 28 goals and 13 assists you know what is that about uh, this season not so much 11 goals 14 assists but it's still better than what um, our man uh, Ziyech got with he only got the six goals and 12 assists so only six goals in their advisory. Um not uh, particularly impressive. He's younger than Tadic. He's only he is 27 years old now. I have been considering Mount actually from Chelsea but um Depends how what happens with Havertz. If uh, Havertz joins, it might mean that 
he would be perhaps the optimum pick because Havertz was a player that we really, really loved um, during uh, our fancy Bundesliga period uh, last a few months back now. But uh, yep. yeah, he, he looks like a really, really exciting um, signing potentially. So one to watch there. Um, I did have a look at the other eight millions as well. And, you know, I, I don't really like Pepe, even though he's had 1.5 million drop. I did actually think that Pogba could be one to watch maybe at eight million. He's had a drop. He's the equivalent of the Diana Troy pick, perhaps at Manchester United, uh, being a sort of our fifth most favourite United attacker now. But you know, it's, it's kind yeah. of forgotten how good he was in eighteen nineteen campaigns. Well, we got thirteen goals and ten assists. He was second only to Salah for goal attempts. So if he and he was pretty much injured all of last season as well, so he never really got the chance to impress. But if he can find that form, depends if he's a bit more defensive. We've kind of lost that kind of more kind of number ten, I guess, position because of Bruno joining the team off penalties. But he still could be an option. But I think perhaps. Going down to 7.5 million, the one we've all got our eyes on is uh, Greenwood, who we, we've described previously as the wharf pick um, for United, um, reclassified as a midfielder this season. Just just really wets our appetite. And I, I think you said, Tom, this might be something we look back on, like Greenwood being only 7.5 million. How was this guy so cheap? And we'll never see this guy so cheap again, kind of scenario that we had when Trent was a 5 million um, fallback. But um, yeah, he, he managed 12 goals last season, which was ridiculous considering he barely played. And um, and yeah, now being a midfielder, he could be really, really, sorry, 10 goals this season. And now being a midfielder, he could be a really, really um, exciting option. Once, obviously, not playing in game with one, but after that, certainly one that was in my original team. Green was definitely one that has been on a lot of people's radars. And in the project restart, we all kind of looked at him and just thought, yeah, this is good. I mean, obviously, to the chagrin of people who were paid more for Rashford over him, uh, he scored five goals and he actually was just 1.45 and 50 points from it. Can he keep it up, basically, is the question there. Uh, but 7.5 million, it's worth the punt, isn't it? And if they sign no one, uh, this could be his breakthrough season, so I mentioned. We could well look back in the future and kind of think, oh my God, remember that year that that Manchester United striker, Mason Greenwood, who is now a 10.5 million first goal season striker, was a 7.5 million winger. I think last week when we first started speaking, um, I was kind of thinking, 7.5, he's way overpriced, I'm going to put someone else in. Whereas now you're kind of thinking that he may be the foil to kind of just cover not having a Bruno or a Rashford just because of the price problems. Like if you're saying that Aubameyang, a Liverpool midfielder and a, a one of the City midfielders isn't an essential player to have then Greenwood is kind of a perfect way of getting around that and of course the key though is that they can't have Jaden Sancho arriving and taking his place um, he has a massive ceiling if Martial gets injured and he ends up being the one that takes on to the striker role for United but the thing with Greenwood and I think it's something that just needs to be kept in mind about his goal scoring last year yes he was supremely confident yes he was particularly potent but he exceeded his XG expected you know his expected goals or whatever by 243.6 percent the the messy rule dictates that it's only sustainable to exceed your XG by about 30 percent uh, over the course of a career let's say so the likes of Aubameyang, Kane, Ings all bro- were all about 50 percent above their XG expectations last season like even if Green was to come back to that you're still laughing he's going to be a particularly good pick to have if he's playing regularly yeah but, just keep in mind that how fortunate he has actually been, potentially. You know, he might be overperforming his XG right now, but he's so young. He's, he's got a bright future ahead of him. And if Sancho doesn't sign, then he's going to be in all of our teams. But um, otherwise, 7 million midfielders is a, it's a rogues gallery of um, 
picks really, isn't it? In in IB for you've got the likes of Grealish and Madison hanging out, getting drug together, um, alongside Delhi Alley, both of them um, <laughs> yeah. very impressive in terms of their chances created, uh, stats. Especially shots created throughout a party. Yeah, probably indeed. More more shots created than chances created. But um I don't know about either of those guys at the moment. I I was thinking about Greenish if he did get a big money move. Madison, he's he's staying at Leicester, um, signed a four year contract today. But Leicester do have some really good fixtures, but there's another Leicester asset that I'm actually considering we'll get onto him in a minute. It's not Harvey Barnes, who's um, also a seven million uh, midfielder. He was he was favourite of ours pre lockdown, but um dropped a little bit in form post lockdown. Uh he's uh, certainly one to perhaps look at um, but uh, yeah I, I don't know I, I don't actually have many of these guys I've got Mason Mount as I said in my team but the more I think about it I'm not sure about him staying uh, because of Havertz joining and potentially losing his place in the squad because of that you've also got a few Spurs guys um, perhaps catching a few managers eyes likes of Lo Celso um, looks like he's taken on the creative role in the Spurs team in the absence of Christian Eriksen being on those corners and free kicks things like that uh, might mean might mean his breakthrough season and also you've got Bergwijn and, and Mora who uh, Mora always starts the season very strongly so he's perhaps one to consider as well uh, but yeah otherwise 6.5 you get lots of Foden, Traore any, any of these guys catching in your eye then Tom Anthony? Um, I mean, with G- you mentioned Lo Celso. He's got my uh, football manager love about him. I've signed him uh, from PSG for my uh, all-conquering Wolfsburg game. He was a fantastic number 10 for me. Um, I just wonder whether he's going to be freed by uh, Zoidberg's uh, purchase uh, by Mourinho to be the nasty guy. It will stop him having to play the Lamello combative role that is GLC and maybe get further forward. Who knows? Um, uh, Grealish, as you mentioned, second uh, most chances created last season, but there was no one to eat his dinner. Uh, Samata, absolutely terrible in terms of for XG and conversion. And at Madison, as you mentioned too, Nick, uh, of son new contract. And last season, somehow, was in the top five for chances created again, despite only playing 31 games. Um, he was actually number two on the FP- on FPL's ICT creativity measure amongst midfielders, for people who care about that. Uh, but the season before, he uh, was top as well for chances created. And he always starts the season strongly. Yeah, so a different one to bear in mind. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned 6.5s, Nick, and I think, I guess, you know, we've got Traore there. Um, uh, but Phil Foden is probably one to mention here. Um, if he's taking David Silva's role, um, Pep said he would be taking David Silva's role and promptly played him on the wing. I mean, 6.5 would be awesome. I very, very quickly breezed over Mares earlier because um, he's 8.5, but 2 million less probably going to be rotated a little bit, sure. But he's surely part of that sort of A-team or at least the A-minus team for Pep. Um, so owning somebody like that and just holding them um, for the course of the season, especially now there's not five uh, substitutes, probably a good idea, right? I, I'm looking at the likes of Phil Foden, and I just, I still, personally, I just don't get it. Like, I, I feel like that you're going to be putting so much money into those premium players, and I feel like Green was a much more um, solid bet, you know, given the current circumstances, that I just, I find it hard to be interested in him with his rotation risks and things. Like, Lo Celso, I would kind of put in the same bracket as a Trossard-type risk for me. Um, but obviously, we could see what happens with preseason and whether he seems to be getting a chance to have more of a free reign like he may have had when he was at uh, Real Betis or whatever. That's the thing with him. But uh, maybe you're looking at the other as- other players that are in there, uh, the promoted players, Pablo Hernandez. Um, he just got his pension and his Matus as well. 
like look they've done well at the championship but we've seen so many times that you know even midfielders come up from the championship Matt Ritchie being maybe a really good example of a midfielder who came up and then disappointed in their first season up not or maybe Tom Kearney is another one that uh, Tom will remember viscerally um you know midfielders ah. that do <laughs> midfielders that did, cheers midfielders that did did well in the championship who just don't necessarily manage to translate that at the higher level and I've got kind of fed up of uh, bigging up those types of players in pre-season only to be disappointed by gravity taking hold yeah definitely i mean pablo hernandez was that right yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah near enough uh the main creative force for leeds uh fpl chef uh, mentioned that he got 0.34 xa 0.23 xg per game nine goals and, nine and two pension books Exactly. Like, it's been yeah. mentioned that he is very, very old. <laughs> he was in the all-conquering Swansea team in the early 2010s. Uh, Matthias Pereira at West Brom, 0.19 XG per game, 0.32 XA per game, eight goals and astonishing 17 assists. Because something about him. Um, I just want to mention as well, maybe again, it's Pritchard's propaganda getting at me, but uh, Trossard, um, Stats Lover's dream. Uh, yeah, um, 6.0, 15 shots in the box, uh, more shots than any other player uh, post-restart, more than Mopay. Um, could again be one to bear in mind, although their start is pretty bad. Um, let's just move on uh, before we end this section uh, to the utility position, as I call it, i.e. the janitor's closet of the 5.5s to the 5.0s. Um, in terms of the 4.5s, I think we're going to probably just leave that bit because I wasn't going to get too long with no point talking about it. Uh, but the 5.5s to the 5.0s, these guys play a very important role because they are the boiler room. They're the fourth midfielder or the first sub sort of role. Um, the likes of Saka, Nick's man, uh, San Maximin, um, Armstrong, Clishing, Straws, uh, Pudence, Suchek and Ritchie. Right, I'm not going to go for each one one by one. I'm just going to mention that I've got Ritchie down here and it's a case of fixtures and price combining. He's got two good enough fixtures in West Ham and Brighton. Then he can either be sold or benched, uh, sold to make an additional 0.5 or benched to be the first uh, kind of sub guy going all through. Uh, I mean, to have a look at all this, I did, and yeah, it was subjective, of course, have a look at post-restart data in terms of those in the 5.5 million bracket and found a few key things. One, Richie scored most points, albeit as a defender. He got injured, but he still came out, came out on top. Suchep was the biggest goal threat. He had the highest number of shots, shots the best XG. Uh, Richie and ASM created the most big chances, have a joint the highest XA. Suchek, again, most head attempts, most goal threat. And he's got a mad record in Czech football, over 30 goals over the course of the last couple of seasons. Um, Armstrong, nowhere to be seen. Obviously, Klish, unproven. Uh, Pedence, maybe superseding Jota, one to watch. But Richie is the only one on pens. Free kicks, has two decent fixtures. So I think he'll be the one who's probably in for me. Plus, I can use some Gordon Ramsay gifts. Um, I just want to mention uh, Suchek as well, quickly, that uh, our friend Adam Hopcroft mentioned that his returns are mostly set-piece based. His gangly frame is the target. This is me talking about Adam now. Uh, the, the t- is the target for uh, Bowen's deliveries. And, I mean, there's a poor-looking start of West Ham. It's really poor, in fact. After the first OK game with Newcastle, they've got Arsenal, what, Wolves, Leicester, Spurs, Man City and Liverpool. <laughs> Lol, good luck, Moisey. Um, but he will get you the odd goal from a set piece. Um, and he has been definitely the, the key target for a lot of those set pieces because of the headed uh, attempts that he's, uh, def- he's registered. So, so, 
yeah, I mean, Moyes is going to play for set pieces. I'm sure with Bones deliveries, plus Suchek, Diop, and Antonio to aim at. If you go for Suchek, leave him and love him in that kind of fourth midfield slot. But I think I'll be going for Richie here uh, just because he's got a couple of fixtures. He's on everything for Newcastle. And after that, I can just be done with him. 5.0, meh, whatever. Boiler men, guys, who are you looking at? I've, I mixed, actually, just take out that uh, exit there. I have something very small to add on the Suchek thing as well. And there's a really good uh, post on Reddit by uh, you, the Bass Cave, or the Base Cave, depending on what he's going for there. But he's basically pointing out how Suchek's uh, XG data in the Premier League, and especially, I guess, in Project Restart uh, towards the end of last season, uh, it's very much skewed by you know three or four games and honestly even two or three shots, which have really extortionately skewed his data i would ex- encourage people to dig it up it makes for quite a convincing argument he's linked in the incidents and everything where it kind of occurs and points out how that skews his xg data and just it's a good point to maybe just throw in there for people if they want to do more research into it and i think i would edge towards richie as an ass because of that so it looks like it's going to be that game week one, which is um, the battle of Suchek versus Richie by the sounds of things, because I'm, I'm, I'm currently still with the uh, six foot four Czech in terms of my team. He is the man that I'm backing, despite the horrific West Ham fixtures. By all means, it might just be for those opening couple of games and might leave my team in the wild card. But, you know, I just when I first saw that price point, I was just like, wow, this guy looks so... Um, attacking really I know it's all from set pieces set plays but you know he's, he's such a danger in the air if you can get a couple of goals then you know for my five million midfielder who I don't really care about he's ultimately enabling the team then I'm going to yeah, be happy yeah. absolutely no, it definitely makes sense if you're going to play him as I said and you're hoping for something two 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 eight two 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 fine cool um as I mentioned, not going to talk about the 4.5s, but uh, Anthony Gordon starting games, Basuma start the majority since the restart, and Zambo and Guisa has a very funny name. Right, midfielders then. How do fixtures change our view of the pricing here? Um, I think that for me, the big change is that City have uh, fallen out of consideration a little bit until game week three. United, we're still having to start to create some strategies around them. Uh, Aubameyang locked Salah. Didn't matter for me, apart from obviously had a blank. Um, and kind of a, the, men, the, the names such as Ziyech and the names such as uh, you know uh, players in that sort of cheaper sort of position became interesting. And a lot of people, for example, are holding Son and are going to use him as the piggy bank uh, to then buy in Bruno after game week one. So I think there's been definitely a bit of kind of movement uh, because of the fixtures. Uh, I think it's just a case of kind of seeing how things go. We're always going to have a player like Suchek in our teams, uh, but it's just the configuration of which premiums we're going to go for uh, has definitely changed by the fixtures in my view. What do you guys think? It's a bit like the Titanic for me. I kind of, I had my lifeboats identified and that was kind of your Aubameyang, your Mane or your Salah and then your City midfielder, whichever one that may be. And then after that, really, we're just moving around the deck chairs on that particular deck of the Titanic with those 5.5s, 6.0s, 4.5 options. And it's them that maybe there was, um, it's with those players that there was perhaps an influence with the fixtures and that maybe Matt Ritchie came to the fore because of those two particularly good early fixtures. If I'm going to go ahead with this early wildcard, for example, so that was really it for me. 
Yeah, I think for me, actually, what's interesting about the fixtures is that it's ended up with a little bit of a disinvestment from the midfielders. So when we previously podded, I was um, set on a 3-5-2 and I actually had three midfielders above 10 million in price in my team. You had the likes of De Bruyne sitting there. I also had the likes of um, Bruno Fernandes, who was um, very strongly in contention and sitting in a number of my drafts. But now I'm, I'm looking at a position where I've got him um, a four-man midfielder, uh, but one of them's five million. I've got another four point five million midfielder sitting on my bench. So the money's left the midfield um, now. It's gone towards the forward line and it's gone towards the defense. So that that's kind of the biggest impact um, that the fixtures have had on my team. Okay, interesting. I mean, uh, let's uh, after this break move on to the forwards because it sounds like. Before we were talking about the death of the forwards, don't really care anymore. And now we really do care. We're really interested. And it's a fantastic way to end the podcast because obviously we're going to be full of gusto for those forward men. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? And we are indeed back from the break looking at forwards now, the last of the positions. And I think it's probably most logical to start with the premium forwards, the most interesting forwards. Yeah, certainly. I think actually one one player I'd like to start with is uh, Jamie Vardy. So he, he's uh, he's ten million this season. Not the most expensive. Um, Kane Agüero are, are ten point five million, so slightly more expensive. But but Vardy is is a player that I hadn't really considered until I saw the fixtures, and then I actually started looking at them and kept looking at them. And I know Big Man Bakar also tweeted, and I thought well, actually Vardy he he he. he um, Really whetted my appetite, and I thought, actually, I'm going to bring him in. I'm going to have, I'm going to own him. Um, I never own Jamie Vardy. I always miss his returns. I always miss his parties. But I thought, you know what, with uh, West Brom, Burnley, City, West Ham, Aston Villa, that is a great run of fixtures. You can certainly see some attacking returns. Um, from Vardy, he's getting on a little bit, as we all know. But he he's still got that poacher's instinct. He was the Golden Boot winner, as I've said before, 23 goals, I think it was last season, and yeah. That he he um he just looks like a great pick, and I, I think you know he might not be that highly owned, and he could be a real uh, differential as well at the start of the season. The shocking thing with Vardy is that he, I think we've all he has definitely been cast aside, and I think you're right to say that the fixtures have maybe changed that to some extent. But the fact of the matter is that whilst his goal scoring completely dropped off, Leicester were actually creating the chances for him. You can get into the XG and yeah, okay, they weren't as good quality chances, but he was getting the chances on goal. And usually when Vardy shoots, he he's not necessarily being speculative. He's not that type of striker. He's, he's, he's quite an efficient striker compared to most of them in the league. So even in uh, project research, he was fourth in terms of shots in, across the whole entire league behind uh, Salah Antonio and Jesus uh, with 30 shots. And he was also in the same position fourth for shots inside the box. So this isn't a team that, whilst Leicester have dropped off, they're not a team that have stopped being able to put chances on a plate for Vardy. And you'd you'd hope that maybe a bit of a break and maybe a refocusing of the mind will help him to refine his scoring touch to some extent. Because four goals off thirty shots was a particularly poor return for him. That's like Gabriel Jesus levels of conversion, which would be quite unusual for him. Yeah, certainly. I think that Vardy is one of those players who. I mean, he obviously is now kind of getting to the point where probably looking at kind of the next couple of years at probably being his kind of uh, his Indian summer, his golden years. It's obviously very economical now. A lot of the team has been there just basically set him up. Um, I did look at two players actually in this kind of uh, kind of setting. I mean, Aguero, we know what the deal is with Aguero. We're not too sure that he's back fit yet. Um, 
he is likely to be the principal guy again for City. Just to digress quickly, it looks like uh, we don't know what's going to happen with Jesus, but uh, if Aguero is fit, then he looks like he's playing his great option. But Kane and Vardy, I actually look a little comparison of them because Kane's exit velocity was basically the same as having a Vindaloo, very, very good. Um, he was Spurs' talisman in the second half of the season. And Vardy, in contrast, fell off like Leicester did. However, he did look great, it's worth mentioning. I compared the two in the restart period. Vardy had more shots, more in the box, so 30 shots, 27, compared to Kane's 25, of which only 15 were in the box, whereas from a DM position, you've got to be taking on just having a uh, similar XG. Uh, but Kane converted, which is why he scored more points over the course of the restart than Vardy did. There's good fits for both. I think that Leicester's are marginally a little bit better. I think their calendar's a little bit less convoluted than Spurs's is. Are they worth 10 million plus though? That is the question. Maybe with Vardy, maybe. I think it does limit what you can buy in terms of uh, having the midfield we're talking about. Uh, Stag, you're saying in terms of having a midfield of uh, Salah, Aubameyang, Bruno, plus some sort of city representation, it means you probably can't have Vardy. So can Vardy match that sort of output or around that sort of area of output? I mean, he's just 0.5 cheaper than Bruno Fernandes over the course of the season. Who's going to score more points, do you think? Oh, it's, it's actually quite tough, uh, especially given how things are going and how Leicester have tailed off. We don't know how they're looking now under Bodger. He seems like a perfect pick for those first few game weeks. If it's not working out, and certainly with a wild card, that money might flow back into midfield and Vardy could be one of those sacrificial lambs. But for those couple opening games, West Brom and Burnley, I, I just fancy him as a, as a pick. Um, yeah, and you guys mentioned Aguero as well. He's, he's one I really like. With the price for only 10.5 million this season, you know, there's a goal every night's 1.2 minutes, which was actually the best of all the active forwards last season. Um, so he has to be in our consideration. Obviously, he's not necessarily fit and not done for the game in game week one. But after that, I think he, he certainly has to be a strong consideration. The same with Kane as well, who started to really shine in the post-lockdown. But going down a little bit in the price is um, Timo Werner, um, 9.5 million. He's a player in my team at the moment as well. In the Bundesliga, he was excellent, wasn't he, over the course of the season? So saw that he'd uh, managed 3.6 shots per game and equating this over 34 games, that was 122 goal attempts, which was more than any other forward uh, managed in the Premier League as well. So we have Chelsea's opening fixtures of Brighton, Liverpool, West Brom, Crystal Palace, Southampton, 9.5 million. He was in the team before with the fixtures of Mounts and he's still in the team because I think he, he looks like... Um, even though it's always a bit of a risk taking a pun on a new player, he, he looks like an excellent um, um, option. Yeah, like look, he's not coming from a, a tractor league or coming for the from the Eredivisie. Like he's coming from the Bundesliga. He's performed a Champions League level, Golden Boot winner. He's scored uh, you know across his whole entire German uh, time in German football. It's a goal every other game. That's pretty spectacular returns, really. And I think Chelsea's fixtures, as you say, Nick, I think that just underlined the need to have well, my own personal need anyway to have Werner in my side. And I think of all the premium forwards, he's certainly the one that I've kind of had to try and like build my forward line around so far 28 goals eight assists last season for rbl and it really is a quite formidable record uh, per 90 0.69 goals per 90 0.24 assists per 90 0.93 goals and assists per 90 admittedly he was at one of the best teams in germany but germany ain't no farmers league yo but i think that that may well translate pretty well it's just a case of where super frank's going to play him 
if Frank has got some sort of four four two in mind, I don't know. I don't know. Is, is he going to shunt him out on the wing, Werner? Surely not. I mean, he's got his best results from playing central striker, for God's sake. Um, I, I think that Werner's obviously a fantastic, uh, a fantastic purchase. I'm just at the moment um, kind of more inclined to have Martial uh, for the first game week. That's the reason I don't have Werner. I've got Ziyech. But I, I completely understand why you'd be looking at Werner. So let's move on to the players below uh, Werner. I think that to start them off, uh, Tony Martial. Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, he's a player that I'm very interested in, actually, at 9.0. And that's because my team basically has an abundance of midfielders, which means I'm now interested in Martial as the third choice data pick. Uh, I mean, commander data, not FPL data from Manchester United. He's also the main man in that central role. And last season's restart, uh, he did very well. And he did his usual thing of busting a few metrics, that's for sure. Uh, the ultimate stats botherer is at it again. He's just very thrifty, isn't he, basically? Ten shots on target, six goals, 3.61 XG since the restart. Pretty good. I did the season on season comparison, actually. He's growing a bit year on year. He's had more shots in the box, more touches in the box. 9.0, more points to... I'm happy to kind of keep him in and for him to play the United role just because I'm quite kind of happy with Salah or Bamiyang. Maybe ZH, maybe he could be turned into Greenwood without keeping lots of money in the bank and then having Richie as the kind of the, the fourth midfielder guy for until game week three at least when I kind of roll with it. Do either of you think Martial is a good option or is it just me kind of because of the way my team's structured kind of thinking, yeah, he's the guy I'm going to be putting in? I certainly see your argument and it is definitely one that's probably based on team structure and I think that's probably the strongest point in favour of Marshall based on what you've presented there I, I feel like I've, I keep ending up being the um, bringer of bad news when it comes to XG but it, again Marshall's a player who was really overperforming it, uh, he had in terms of chances in the post in post lockdown period uh, it's quite similar actually to Marcus Rashford who you know they both would have been expected to score three or four goals and Rashford picked up three and Marshall's picked up six and I think that's definitely something that's living quite long in the memory of FPL managers with their selections maybe and it's why Rashford isn't particularly popular but nine million reclassified Martial based on how flaky he can be and based on the fact that you've got players who get comparable chances, let's say, to produce attacking returns in United's midfield, who are obviously going to be rewarded better um, as scorers from midfield, means that I, I'm definitely kind of ebbing away from Martial when there are other options there amongst the forwards too. We've alluded to them. We'll go into the others in a second, um, but I'll leave Nick come in on Martial before we move on. I think Martial is not for me. I think, you know, I perhaps would look 0.5 million cheaper if I was looking at another forward outside Werner and um, and perhaps going for um, someone like Danny Ings or uh, Raul Jimenez. Yeah, definitely. I think um, Ings, I mean, we read Tasman Theory, uh, you know what Ings is capable of. I don't think we need to make the case for him. I also happen to think that Palace are a team who I'd be worried about if I was a fan. I've mentioned that a couple of times. They look incredibly threadbare. Okay, they do every year, um, but they look abject in Project Restart as well. And I, I think that that's going to be a great game for him to start the season with. Um, Jimenez has not been seen so much. He's the same price point as Danny Ings this year, as we predicted actually end of last year. Um, but he bettered last year's performance uh, this season just gone. And he provides a drip feed of points. And he really, really is a drip feed. Um, because I was comparing him to Ings, I realised I couldn't really remember when Honest Round 9 was ever a double-figure return, basically. So I went on transfer marks, and I found that he played 76 games, 30 goals, and got 14 assists, so he got 44 goal involvements. How many times over, over the course of those 44 goal involvements did he get more than one in a game? Six. 
probably about five. It's very few. <laughs> Yeah, very few uh, staggers bang on six. So just 13.6% of the time Jimmy got involved, did he do more than one thing? Um, he's a drip feed, he's very consistent, but he's unexplosive. It's quite interesting as well, but he takes a lot of shots. I didn't really realise this before, but he took 118 last season, more than any other player bar Salah. And again, the most shots in the box, more than any, any other player bar Salah. You've got quite a volume striker there in Jimenez, but uh, one who doesn't seem to be kind of an explosive one he really is there 8.5 to be the kind of guy who ticks over which can be all well and good and Wolves do have good starts you've mentioned well the thing with uh, Wolves in general and Jimenez is that in project research his shot count completely dropped off he's not even in the he's nowhere near the top 10 he's probably not in the top 20 I can't be bothered trying to count numbers down but it's it's high teens in terms of uh, shots taken let's say um, in the project restart period like he's it's it's not particularly good and it's he's kind of his drop in returns and I think even it wasn't as consistent let's say through that project restart period as we would come to expect of him and I'm I'm quite fearful for Wolves in general that they just will struggle to get going at the start of this season and because of that I think it's Ings who I'd favour because I I do feel that as you say Thomas that Palace game I think that's a real good opportunity for Ings to generate serious momentum and for the Ding's tweets to start every bleeding weekend of the season all over again whereas Jimenez like I think it's going to be a real struggle for him and yeah sorry go for it I was going to say what what I do like in comparison though with Jimenez is what what you find with a lot of the forwards is whilst I talk about Trent how you know he gives us goals assists and clean sheets potentially with a lot of the forwards it's just goals that's the only thing that they can deliver they can't deliver assists you've seen it with like Harry Kane who who seems to manage about one or two assists a season. wasn't the case with Jimenez. His underlying stats for chance creation um, are, are fantastic. So he, he's a very unselfish forward as well. I think it's only Firmino that's um, created more chances. And Jimenez also had um, 13 big chances as well, uh, which was the most out of all the forwards. And off the back of that, he, he got six assists as well, which was the third highest for the, for the forwards. So... Um, and, you know, that was um, two seasons in a row he's, he's done that as well. Because last season, he actually managed double figures for assists with, with 10. So um, definitely mm. a creative outlet as well as a goal scorer for Wolves. Just an all-round all round, uh, number nine in the modern kind of lone forward way, I suppose. And you know what you're getting with him. And as I'm surprised he's not been considered by that many players so far. He's watched in social media, but he's still in up with the 20% of squads. And I completely understand that. If I was wildcard in game week three, I'm sure he'd be straight in my squad. Right, moving down, uh, Stag's nemesis for Charleston. Um, Ancelotti has tasked him with scoring 30 goals next year, the Pigeon. And He'll he... be waiting. <laughs> yeah, he also led with Headed attempts per restart uh, before the restart. He also had the most headed attempts of any player before the restart, but fell off a cliff with Everton post restart. Um, always starts the season well, though. Uh, the last couple of years, he's got 40 points in the first 10 game weeks at least. Uh, moving down to the mid, mid range, uh, you've got his compadre DCL and you know, the likes of Mope and Woods. Um, I just want to kind of quickly mention uh, Chris Wood, uh, probably the stat of the pod here. Um, which is that uh, Chris Woods uh, had 61 shots um, the whole season last year. An astonishing 30 of them were big chances. So 49% of Woods' shots were 
big chances, which is absolutely ridiculous. 14 goals he scored out of that, which is a, a very, very fun stat. I just, want, I just also want to contrast that with Neil Morpay, who is a volume king. So he scored, he took a lot of shots last year, 92 shots, 69 were in the box, so loads of them are just outside the box, heading nowhere. And of those 92 shots, only 36 were on target, which is ridiculous. And a tiny percentage of them, 16%, were actually big chances. So it's kind of a, if you're looking at, I did mention DCL, but, you know, he did rubbish after the restart, so let's ignore him. I'm sure he's going to do very, very well. But let's ignore him for now. Uh, but in the short kind of comparison between Wood and Mopay, like you've got just an incredible case of two completely different strikers at the same price. You've got a volume striker in Mopay, who was just incredibly frustrating, but may turn it around. Uh, but Chris Wood, 49% of shots being ch- big chances. That's absolutely crazy, isn't it? Yeah, well, I did actually see that he had 58 goal attempts inside the box. So he only had, only had the seven that weren't inside the box. Um, so pretty much all of his goal attempts were, you know, close range efforts. So no, not surprisingly, they were up you know so many big chances really if he's not taking as many shots outside the box you know he's the big man in the box isn't he for Burnley ultimately and their style of play kind of dictates that kind of poacher poacher's instinct that Chris Wood certainly has and I think out of all the 6.5 million forwards he's perhaps the one that you know and that's most appealing for me obviously Burnley don't have a game in the opening week otherwise as you said um, Antonio reclassified um, yes forwards yeah, so yeah, Tom spoke about Harry Kane earlier and said that he had the he was vindaloo levels of exit velocity. Well, if that's the case, Antonio had clean prep the colonoscopy, uh, clean out proceed, uh, drink uh, levels of exit velocity uh, going into oh wow, <laughs> reaction from Nick there. Um, he had that sort of level of uh, performance in the project restart period. Like this player scored eight goals, so only Raheem Sterling outscored him just in that sense um, in project restart. Thirty-three shots, twenty-eight of those coming inside the box. Obviously, a huge proportion of those goals, half of them in fact, came against Norwich in his uh, four-goal game. But in spite of that, he's definitely a player that is quite popular, even though West Ham's fixtures are truly cat. Uh, Newcastle, Arsenal, Wolves, Leicester and Tottenham in their first five. Probably the worst of anybody in the league. I mean, Antonio, you've definitely got to bear in mind. I think he is definitely, like, in fact, a few players around this sort of price point are all players who got adversely affected by the fixtures coming out. Um, I mean, Wood not having a game week one, I think if that wasn't for that, Based on that big chance of stat, he'd be straight in. Same with Mopay, actually. I think I nominated him in Talisman Theory as being a sort of player who could step up and could make it work. The three of them are pretty much out of the picture. And you've got the likes of Shea Adams as well. Um, outstatted uh, Danny Ings at the end of last season. His first goal, uh, was it's worth mentioning or remarking on, was lobbing Edson from 60 yards in the Premier League, which is pretty... Uh, pretty ballsy for someone who's out of form maybe there's an innate confidence there but there are a few people who were at least using him to cover Danny Ings the theory that Ings would be more defended double marked or whatever why weren't clubs doing that anyway would be my rejoinder and it just feels a bit too kind of rikery for me I'm not sure I like that um there's one player I do want to mention though in the kind of six six point five kind of area which is Mitrovic yeah, okay, we've all been trolled by him in the past. I get it. I'm sure there's a lot of people who have flinched. The only reason is because of Pookie and because of Talisman Fury. So last year, he got Pookie got 34% of Norwich's attacking points, so all points except appearance and defensive stuff. Uh, Mitrovic got 24% for Fulham in 2018-19. 
He's 6.0 now. So he's gone down 0.5 from what he was before. And I'd be expecting 120, 130 points from Mitro. And I also expect him to do better at the beginning, as we also saw with likes of Pookie. What's really cool, though, oh, it's cool in a very geeky way, is something that I found when I was doing the research on this, which is that Mitro is basically Mopay, except he does a few more headers. So they're both volume strikers. They both do exactly the same thing in that they take a lot of shots. The ones that are in the box are not big chances, um, and they tend to score in clumps. And I think that at the beginning of the season, like Fulham are, it is Fulham, so it's not going to get that much kind of coverage. But after Arsenal, they've only got Wolves in game week four all the way up to game week 10 when they face Leicester. So they've got three out of the first 10 games are difficult. The rest are actually pretty decent. It's just because it's Fulham. We're not too sure of them. But, I mean, he's got talisman potential with the Serbian. And I think that he's the player who I'm going to be putting in as just the placeholder in that sort of 6.0 sort of place. I mean, we'll talk about price point occupancy and stuff in a couple of weeks' time. But I think he's kind of the talisman guy that I've got there at the moment. I mean, you've got other people like Bamford, Robson Carney, what? And Austin in the cheap seats. But... I don't know. I think it's kind of Mitro for me at the moment. I think once you get to six million and below, it's Mitro or bust. And certainly, you've made all the points that I was going to make about Mitrovic and you know his FPL potential. He's got a tougher game against Arsenal in game week one, but after that, it's, it's a great run of fixtures for Fulham, isn't it? And yeah, he's, he is the key man. He is definitely a dangerous um, forward. You can certainly see him sort of terrorising those, those defenders over that particular period. You often think of promoted teams having, you know, pretty good first days out in the Premier League as well. This is a completely, you know, just random observation to make, but I wouldn't necessarily be too concerned about Arsenal of all teams um, in that first game back. You know, no, if it was, if it was, yeah, if it was Liverpool, I'd be saying something, but like that's that's grand. Like you could totally see him picking up a consolation goal and a two-one defeat there. Um, you know, everyone goes away kind of happy. Then you know, something Fulham feeling confident going into Leeds and Arsenal get their three points. It's, not an impossible thing to happen so wouldn't be too concerned about that looking at the rest of the fours, I think Nick you've, you've pretty much summed it up like under 6.0 it's it's Mitrovic and then there's absolutely there's almost nothing there actually there's um the beleaguered Irishmen of Southampton they're both they're all there Shane Long Michael Obafemi uh, Obafemi who was left out of the Ireland squad and who was uh subtweeting the manager um rather um maturely today hasn't hasn't gone down well he said interesting but he didn't say interesting he said interesting so maybe that was grand so no no so I'm I'm hoping he learns two lessons which is how to spell interesting and also not to subtweet the bloody manager when he doesn't get selected again but outside of that there's um, very little to report down there really in those bad strikers it's maybe Brewster if he gets a move but right now kind of marooned at Anfield no good Yep, certainly. I think the only one to mention, as you mentioned, is Brewster. If he goes to a Premier League club at 4.5 million, wow, what an enabler that is. That is very similar, I would probably argue, to having a 4.0 defender. If he's a starter for the likes of Aston Villa, the start for, starter for the likes of Leeds, who are looking to replace uh, Bamford, I'm not too sure he's going to suit that, but else's philosophy, I, that could be definitely one worth watching, I think. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not particularly great, is it, really, when you get down beyond, as you said, beyond the 6.0. McGoldrick, anyone? Ireland's hero. Um, he's uh, officially Jesus. in the Ireland squads, just so he can be selected for the second game, which just shows how he's, great he's going to slay Finland. Absolutely. You. Right, okay, so the forwards. Um, how did fixtures change our view of the pricing here, guys? I think you could pretty much sum it up as Antonio went straight out of any sorts of uh, ideas I had. The Werner 
thoughts were definitely solidified. Vardy became a consideration, but I haven't warmed the idea of it yet. Um, and that's pretty much the main things that really happened for me with the fixtures and forwards. Yeah, exactly. I think it, for me, it's just about that Vardy party. And with those Leicester fixtures, he's come into my team. There hasn't been too much change. A little bit more money invested into the forwards that was previously in the midfield as well. Yep, certainly. I think that forwards were actually the most positively affected by the fixtures um, because, I mean, last week we were looking at it saying that, you know, the forwards have very little value. We all want to go for the midfielders. But now I think there's an element of having to hold hands up and say, you know what, maybe we kind of overstated how good the midfielders were and underplayed the forwards a little bit because, I mean, there were so many instances of the forwards being Principal attackers for several sides, Ings, Vardy, Werner, Mitrovic, Jimenez, Martial, who had decent fixtures. And they've certainly sent us all running into the glorious arms of those strikers. I think that we're kind of looking at those three, four positions at the moment, kind of thinking, hmm, uh, all three of them could possibly be kind of occupied. And I think a kind of a wider question as well, just to kind of round off, is how did the fixtures change our setup in terms of the price points we were looking at? Um, Obviously, we're not going to talk too much on strategy. As I've mentioned a few times, that's going to go for the pod in a couple of weeks. But I think the impacts of fixtures, if I may give my view and you guys can go after that, is that fixtures have fostered a sense of balance for me. Um, I think that before we thought, you know, what well, all the money's going to go in the midfield, maybe kind of a little bit in defence of TAA, maybe a 6.0, maybe the forwards, whatever. Um, but now I think we're kind of looking at kind of thinking, well, we're going to rebalance a little bit, put some money into the forwards, have Trent, have you know, maybe a Doty or maybe having a, you know, a 5.0. I don't know. Um, but it definitely seems like balance is the key this year. Um, last year, it was all that big at the back. Um, I spent this time around, it's all about it's all about kind of just having those sort of, uh, well, ha- having everything even distributed. I don't know. I don't know. What do you guys reckon? Yeah, I, I think certainly you're right there in terms of the, a bit of a rebalance in terms of the formations. I think we were we spent a lot of that post-lockdown period very excited about those premium midfielders. They were all catching our eye when we were going for these really heavy midfield-based teams. And I think with United and City, especially not having those opening fixtures, we started to look at some of these other teams and said, actually, the key assets we want aren't necessarily in the midfield. So, for me, I've put more money in defence. I've got two premium defenders, technically, with Doherty coming back into the team there. And um, the forward line, I was looking at a sort of a two 4.5 million setup potentially, at one point. No money hardly at all in that forward line. But now I've got a double uh, pivot. Of course, I think that might all change once I wildcard. I might go back to all those exciting midfielders that aren't playing in game week one. It seems a little bit more balanced, maybe, at least in the short term for now. Yep, I can only really echo all of that, to be honest. Um, aside, yeah, definitely don't, obviously I'm not going to be carrying 20 millions worth effectively of midfielders on my bench through game week one. So I'm, I'm going to probably look to that wildcard to basically set up my team to have that more pro midfield uh, team. And, and I guess because of that, it does mean that it is some of those forwards that are going to be getting into my team. And perhaps I think when I start to really think about value and really consider the uh, clean pe- clean sheet potentials of teams in game week one and maybe game week two, I think you will find that I will have a second or even a second, let's say, premium defender into my team and also one of the mid-priced options, whereas before it was really TAA, a 5.5, and then just quite a lot of dross. 
Um, also, one of the things that definitely has happened is that my thoughts have crystallized about Wolves being disadvantaged and tired, um, having gone so far in the Europa League, um, but not getting a game week one off. And I'm just quite concerned about Doherty and uh, Jimenez um, as a consequence of that as well. But I think that pretty much rounds up the pod. I think we've um, we've gone through an awful lot of players, an awful lot of stats, and I hope that you've uh, stuck with us throughout it. And I hope you've enjoyed it and uh, taken quite a lot from it. I think it was been a, I think it's been a pretty informative pod. So I hope you thought the same thing. Anyway, we were who got the assist. Thanks so much for listening. If you're a new listener and enjoyed the pod this week, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you can have us in your ears all season long. What a pleasure for you indeed. Yes, indeed. And we're going to be back next week um, with FPL Family for an Unwritten Rules podcast. So, yeah, Lee and Sam are good friends of ours and uh, look forward to catching up with them again. Yep, thanks very much for listening. Uh, hopefully you stuck with us. And as uh, Anthony said, took something from that. We're looking forward to the Unwritten Rules pod next week with FPL Family. As Nick mentioned, they are a pair of FPL personalities that are absolutely lovely people in real life, sort of people who I'd let mug me, frankly, and they'd be so nice that I'd just give them all my stuff. That's what people they are. Uh, so really looking forward to that. In the meantime, we hope to assist you choose your players for the next season. I'll speak to you next week. So, yep. Ciao. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.